Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters Arden Swelling and Ben Nicholson Smith. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. Thank you so much for listening. Ben, it is like a well-worn baseball axiom that you are never as good as you look when you're hot and you're never as bad as you look when you're cold. So this time last week, Blue Jays are hot. Yankees are cold. Jays took two out of three from New York in Buffalo. Flash forward to today, Thursday, September 17th, and the Yankees are hot. Blue Jays are cold, and the Yankees have blown out the Blue Jays by several touchdowns over the first two games of a uh, a three-game set in the Bronx. You shouldn't have been too high last week. Shouldn't be too low this week. I think that, you know, the truth somewhere in the middle but for me it does just underscore how prone to sort of flukiness and luck this this regular season is going to be like i I opened up like the standings this morning and you know thought that you know oh man the blue jays have probably you know done a bunch of damage to their no they're they're, you know they're still four games above 500 they're still essentially a lock to reach the postseason like seattle and baltimore and detroit these teams have just Falling off the map, like Blue Jays are like just rolling downhill towards the playoffs. You can read into the rolling downhill however you wish, but this season is going to be so so prone to just whether you are playing well or whether you are not. I think that's going to extend into the postseason where you get a three-game first-round series. If the Blue Jays are playing like they were a week ago in that three-game first-round series, great. Probably going off to the DS. If the Blue Jays are playing like they are right now. In that three-game playoff series, uh, your your season is probably over within 48 to 72 hours. It, it really is just going to come down to how are you playing at the time? How are hitters hitting? Are you getting good outings from your starters? Are you playing sound defense, this, that, and the other? Sitting here today, I cannot tell you how the Blue Jays will be playing in a week and a half, but we're about to find out. Right. Yeah, it, it is such a reminder of how different a team can look in the course of three games. And, and that certainly applies to the Jays. But I think, you know, more than anything, I'm noticing that with the Yankees, just how good they look recently. You see, you know, Judge obviously coming back and Stanton hasn't done much, but he's back and Urshela. And obviously guys like Luke Voigt are just, I mean, Luke Voigt looks pretty legit. This, this team has a, a pretty impressive offense. And that was really nowhere to be seen when the Blue Chase were playing them a week ago. So these things change really quickly. And who's to say what's going to happen once the playoffs begin? I still think the Blue Jays are going to get there. But yeah, you know, you look at... Of course, of course they're going to get there. Yeah, I think the odds right now as we record this are 97%. There's um, no competition. Of course yeah. they're going to get there. Yeah, so, so are you... They have a better like, record than the Houston Astros, Ben. Yeah, right. Of course they're going to So if there. the Mariners break through, it will be at the expense of the Astros in all likelihood, which is pretty wild. But there still has to be some cause for concern with how the Blue Jays are playing, I think. I think in the last like few days, we've seen just reminders of how little they have in the starting rotation behind Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, when you look at Taiwan Walker, you know, I know a lot of that comes down to Derek Fisher, and we'll get to Derek Fisher, but still, if that's Garrett Cole or Jacob deGrom on the mound, they strike someone out and they get out of the inning. They're not allowing 600 runs. That's a matter of opinion, and Walker certainly deserved a better fate, but some of what we've seen does come down to the to the pitching, and it's not just San Diego Espinal out there giving up bombs, but these are actual major league pitchers giving up bombs. So I think you have some concerns there. Certainly, we've seen some injuries since we last spoke. You know, we know that Ken Giles is now out for the season. Yeah, a lot happens in a short period of time, and 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 this week has been no exception to that rule for the Jays. 
Yeah, I just I think that this short season just kind of intensifies the peaks and valleys, right? Because you know every game, uh, you know, is worth like what is it like two point seven, two point seven or something, right? So you know it it is that much more impactful, and you know you'll see players' numbers like fluctuate, like you know pretty wildly, just depending on whether they had like a good you know week or good couple weeks or or not. You know, but I think like at the end of the day in a season like this, like just get into the tournament, you know, like just get into that, you know, just be one of those top eight teams. The Blue Jays are going to be one of them. You know, we, we can kind of, you know, stress and, and worry about the pitching staff right now and about, you know, who's going to get the outfield reps and this, that and the other. But it's it, all that's going to matter is just how they are playing in that three game first round series. And then after that, it's how are they playing in that five game DS. But even especially with um, the playoff format this year without any off days, like, you know, whether you are hot or cold at that point is going to say a lot. And, you know, to, to how far into this thing you go. Like, I just think that, you know, like the playoffs, it's going to be like, you know, if you have a few balls not bounce your way, if you have, you know, a couple balls not caught in the outfield, I mean, that could be your season. You know, a starter goes out and doesn't have his command. Well, now you're in a 1-0 hole in a series where you can only lose two times. But if you go in and you get a really good outing from a starter and the other team has, you know, luck not on their side and, you know, you get some good bad ball luck on on your side and you get a couple, you know, really good uh, innings out of your bullpen and this, that, and the other, like all of a sudden you're through to the DS. So it's just like... It's always impossible to predict baseball, but I think this year more than any, it's just really, really difficult to handicap it. Yeah, exactly. And we're still learning about this team. I mean, at game number 47, whatever it is, it's still relatively early. This would be the end of May in the course of a quote-unquote normal season. So we're still learning things about how these players are performing, how they're responding to you know different stresses, different tests. And so you know, I don't think we can overlook the fact that our perception of this team should be shifting right now it shouldn't be this fixed entity really there's still a lot that we're going to learn um, especially as guys keep coming back from injury guys are added to the roster we've seen Alejandro Kirk you know join this team a week ago that seemed like somewhat of a remote possibility one that we were definitely intrigued by but you know certainly we weren't assuming that that was going to happen and so this team keeps evolving that you know the very composition of this team keeps evolving a guy like you know Derek Fisher was getting reps. I don't think that's going to happen quite as much going forward. You know, like the team itself has to respond to what it sees. And then you see playing time adjustments that follow suit. So do you want to have the Derek Fisher conversation right now? Let's do it. Might as Let's well. do it. Want to have just a, just a calm, rational conversation <laughs> yeah. about Derek Fisher, the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, who was their fourth outfielder until he got hurt in, in the live VP when Matt Shoemaker dinged him on the knee the other day, but was their fourth outfielder? Let me just like, yeah, it's like the most Toronto sports thing ever, right? Is that like the Blue Jays are losing by a couple touchdowns every day, but everybody's freaking out about the fourth outfielder who has <laughs> uh, 39 plate appearances this season. <laughs> Like, right. like that's not the that's not the problem like, no it's not, this isn't like i uh, you know even though we're about to talk about it like it doesn't even deserve that much like breath in the quote-unquote discourse but like let's talk about it Derek fisher like here here's some things that we know about him he's 27 years old he is an outfielder he has shown at the triple a level that he can be a very capable hitter it's over a thousand triple a plate appearances now that he has a 900 ops like that is real like that's anthony alford didn't come close to that you know like there are lots of players who will never come close to that so this is a guy who has hit very very well the triple a level at the mlb level 
he has hit okay in pretty small samples so far this season. Like it's like a 120 OPS plus. And look, it's only 39 plate appearances, but he's a guy who's demonstrated he can take a walk, he can hit the ball out of the yard, like he can do some things for you offensively. He's obviously got some traits and characteristics that jump off the page, whether it's his sprint speed or whether it's his uh, exit velocity and just how hard, like he makes contact with the ball. Um, you know, and all those are obviously traits and characteristics that you know, a lot of analytically minded front offices enjoy and look for. These things are all true. Another thing that is true about Derek Fisher is that he has been very, very poor defensively at the big league level. The eye test suggests that he has been poor um and the numbers as well suggest that he has been poor defensive runs saved and you know whatever pick your advanced defensive metric outs above average whatever you like they do not speak well to, to Derek Fisher's favor like I guess the the decision the Blue Jays now have to make is whether they want to continue with him and see if those offensive tools can come together for him and he can be a really good hitter for this club to the point where you get past those defensive drawbacks or whether like the defense is so suspect and so bad that you feel that you can't roster him anymore. I don't know. What I do know is you do not like designate a guy because he booted two balls. You know, you don't just release a guy <laughs> because he had a really bad inning, probably the worst inning of his professional career, but probably of his baseball playing career in his entire life. I can't imagine he's had an inning as right. bad as that one. Like just to, you know, to be like, you know, get back to the dugout and here's your designation papers and you're gone. Like, it's just like, it's an emotional response, the juvenile response, like it's reactionary. You designate a guy because you need the roster spots. Like that's the discussion the Blue Jays will have to have probably this offseason. I don't know if they're having it right now, probably this offseason with, do we need that 40-man roster spot for somebody else who we prefer to Derek Fisher going forward? Like that's the conversation. That's right. That's right. I mean, I think there are a lot of... GMs or would-be GMs out there, certainly uh, based on my, my Twitter mentions, they <laughs> definitely exist like by the dozens, if not by the hundreds of people who would have, you know, in the, in the position of Ross Atkins, walked down from the GM suite at Yankee Stadium, Ron's gone out mask. to right field. Yeah, it's, <laughs> exactly. Gone out to right field and basically handed Derek Fisher, you know, a plane ticket and his release papers and said, see you later. And I mean, that's, that's okay. I mean, fans deserve to have their own perspective i'm sure there are some people listening right now thinking that's what they should have done Derek fisher sucks and all right if that's your perspective that's fine that's that's the beauty of fandom you can have that point of view i think the way i look at it is let's start with some some really obvious things here okay so really you know big picture Derek fisher as you said one of the worst moments of his professional career i'm sure there's no way that he intended to botch those balls and it wasn't just one it was you know there are two that he should have made and even on the subsequent plays to Derek Fisher that day he did not play any one of the five balls hit to him well there were balls in the corner there was one in front of him that he bobbled it was a disastrous night I don't think it's hyperbole to say that that's you know basically worst case scenario for what you will ever see in a major league outfield it was really bad that one's driven into right center field, and he can't make that play as it goes up against the wall. So an inauspicious inning. Derek Fisher having, having all kinds of problems out there in right field, and now he's a little banged up. Sometimes when you don't make a couple plays, things just start hurting for no reason. But again, a ball that should be caught. But at the same time, it's one game, and 
We've seen Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. have bad games too. Lots of players have bad games and then they recover. So one bad game does not fix you to a lifetime of bad games. I think that's, and that should be stating the obvious really. But that being said, it's very clear that Derek Fisher had an awful game. And I think even going beyond that, it's very clear that the Blue Jays cannot trust Derek Fisher in a game that counts defensively at this point in time. And maybe that changes in six months. I don't think, and you know, maybe other people would have different perspectives. I don't anticipate that that could change in the next 10 days. You know, I, I don't anticipate that in the next couple of weeks as the Blue Jays try to clinch a playoff spot and then try to win playoff games, I don't think you can have Derek Fisher out there. So I'm acknowledging here that as much as you don't just release the guy out of spite, there still has to be some real hesitation when it comes to playing him out there. But still, none of that forces you to DFA the guy on the spot. If you need a roster spot, all right. I mean, he's a candidate, right? He's a candidate to be to be taken off. By no means does Derek Fisher have a guarantee of holding on to that 40-man roster spot all winter long. They might need it for someone else, and that's okay. But at the same time, he does have some upside. He does have some skills. There's no harm in having him there if you don't have a better option to put on that roster. Yeah, if you make a good point, because if you just designate every player after they like have really bad days and you know in the field and maybe have shown even like trends of really poor defensive play, Teoscar Hernandez isn't a Blue Jay today, right? Lourdes Gurriel Jr. isn't a Blue Jay today. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. isn't a Blue Jay today. Bo Bichette doesn't make it to the majors as a shortstop. Edwin right. Encarnacion would have been, well, the Jays did actually DFA Edwin. So, <laughs> you know, that's uh, maybe uh, a counterexample. But, but yeah, there are tons of players who, who have trouble defending in the major leagues. Playing defense in the major leagues is really hard, even yes. in the outfield, even a quote-unquote routine fly ball that you think your buddy on your softball team could make. I don't know. Like, it's not that easy. Now, that's not to excuse it. Derek Fisher has to make those plays. He absolutely has to make those plays. But at the same time, Players struggle defensively. Some of them recover. Some of them don't. We don't know what's going to happen to Derek Fisher, but it doesn't mean that you just give up on the guy the moment he struggles. Well, and you mentioned Encarnacion, and it like it reminds you of that or of pre twenty ten Jose Bautista. Like Derek Fisher belongs to this like class of player who clearly has potential, and like you know clubs clearly see things in them that like oh if you could just put it all together like he could really be something and that's why clubs give them opportunities like this class of players usually like between the age of like i don't know 25 and 29 you know like the prospect sheen is off of them they're probably a top 100 guy at one point because of those tools and because of those characteristics um and they still have those traits but they just haven't been able to to put them together for for whatever reason and they've gotten you know chances at the big league level to do it and it hasn't worked out which has led to them being out of options which is you know puts clubs in this kind of you know in scenario where like it's like all right you know somebody else will probably take a chance on this guy if we put him on waivers and and try to get him to the minor leagues or kind of you know stuck them on the big league roster think about like socrates brito is another example of a guy that like clubs like look this guy runs fast as hell like great triple a numbers like hits the ball really really hard Teoscar Hernandez. Teoscar Hernandez is like a perfect example of a guy who like hits the ball like hard as hell and lots of home runs. And, you know, it's just like, eh, but he strikes out a lot. He's not so good defensively, but we want to keep giving him opportunities to put it together because look at what he possibly could be. It was Jose Bautista was the same thing, right? It was just like, yeah, let's just keep giving him opportunities because it could be something special. And then it clicks, right? Clicked for Jose Bautista. Clicked for Teoscar Hernandez. Is it going to click for Derek Fisher? I don't know. None of us know. But... 
MLB front offices have enough reason to believe that it could click for him and that if it does click, he could be a really good player because of those traits and because of those characteristics. So you totally like understand the thought process of why you give a guy like that rope and like why you want to give him what front offices would call the runway, which is basically just like playing time over an extended period of time to try to figure it out, you know, and to have that opportunity to put it all together. I would argue that the 2020 Blue Jays today on Thursday, September 17th, do not have that opportunity to give. Like, do not have that runway to give. And I think in 2021, you don't have that runway and that opportunity to give either. I think the Toronto Blue Jays in 2018 had the opportunity to give and in 2019 had that opportunity to give because you're losing a lot of games. You're not in a win-now mode. Like, you're, you know, you're internally, their win expectancy wouldn't have been high. They're not projecting themselves to be a playoff team. So you can, like, take those chances on a Teoscar Hernandez and a Socrates Brito and a Derek Fisher. I just think now, today, as things have shifted for this organization going forward, you can't. Like you said, in a game of consequence, in a game that you need to win, you don't want Derek Fisher in the outfield because he's just not a good major league outfielder defensively. So you don't, you cannot give him that rope right now as the Blue Jays. And I think that's why the Blue Jays will have to uh, God, I hate this cut bait on Derek Fisher. Like, I hate that so pun so much, but you know what I mean? Like, the, why they will have to, like, DFA him, essentially. If not now, certainly this offseason when there are a number of, you know, players who might be exposed to the Rule 5 draft if they are not added to the 40-man roster. And I think that the way that the Blue Jays roster is constructed right now, the way that they are trying to win going forward, a better use of that 40-man spot will be on a prospect who is still in the minors and you don't have to call up yet but who you don't want to lose in Rule 5 because he's a pretty you know, interesting guy going forward and another club might you know, give him that opportunity. Like I think you want to preserve that depth among young players as in the majors you are trying to win now. And I think Derek Fisher will likely get that, you know, the opportunity that, that he needs and the runway that he needs with another club, and that's fine. You know, it's going to be a club that's not projected to win a bunch of games. But for the Blue Jays right now, like, you need to win. You need players who are going to catch the ball. You need to maximize your big league roster with impact guys who are going to do something for you and serve a real role for you. Uh, and I just think that, you know, this this is not the time for the Blue Jays to be given, you know, the rope that, you know, Derek Fisher needs to try to put it all together. I'm with you most of the way there. I think like when you're looking at Derek Fisher and now he's, he's of course on the injured list. So do you think we're going to see him again this season at all? I don't, I don't think we're going to see him. Uh, I mean, he would only, one's 10 days up, like it'd be like a couple days left in the season. Right? Yeah. It seems yeah. unrealistic. And, and why not? If you're the Blue Jays at that point, why not just, you know, extend it a couple days? So he's around as a, you know, depth option, but you're not actually playing him. You have other guys that you're using on the roster. So I don't think we see him again this year. And again, like just to state, and I'm not trying to pile on Derek Fisher here because there are enough people out there doing that without me joining in. And I really hope that he doesn't have social media because there's, there's a lot of vitriol out there. So I, I hope he is not checking, name searching himself because, yeah, that's, that's, it's not a pretty scene out there when it comes to the Derek Fisher commentary. But in the course of 2020, that's the worst outfield play that I've seen from any player in any game. So that's not good. Now, I actually still would be intrigued to see him in spring training 2021 just because you have so many at-bats to go around. You have so many, you just, you never know how a guy's going to look in the course of 50, 60 spring training at-bats. In my opinion, why not take a look? Now, of course, if you need that roster space for a Rule 5 guy or a free agent or whatever the case, fine. But I don't think that, you know, often you're going to have a lot of, you're going to have a lot of space on that roster, at least to begin the offseason. You have a lot of free agents coming off it. So I'd be intrigued to see him in spring and just see what he can do. 
I just think that this offseason, you're going to want that 40-man roster spot. And that's what it comes down to me when it comes down to a DFA for a player like that. It's just like, is the spot more valuable for somebody else? And to me, that 40-man roster spot and the 20, I don't know, 26, 28, however many players are going to be on Major League rosters next year, and the 26, 28-man roster spot is more valuable on somebody who's just going to be more impactful right now as you're trying to win. Like 2021, you got to be trying to win. Like you got to be trying to build off of this yep. year where you're kind of a surprise playoff team. You took advantage of like... 60 game season um you know i think that like it's pretty you know the projections are pretty clear that over 162 the blue jays probably aren't going to be a playoff team over 60 they absolutely are unless so, they expand the playoffs watch out we can talk about that later yeah but like uh they you know you want to build off of this and you don't want to have a step back next year like you want to be a playoff team again so you need to win so either you're using the you know active roster and 40-man roster spot on like another starting pitcher you know or uh, hey maybe like sign another outfielder, right? Like maybe you like sign a George Springer or whoever, right? Like maybe you do that or you have a lot of like young players coming up through your system right now who might be exposed to rule five this off season. Now, some of those players could have been moved as players to be named later at the deadline. Like those are typically the kind of the players that you might look to move at that point. It's like, I might be rule five eligible. We don't know if we can add them to the roster. Might as well like use them now to acquire someone now talent. I get it, but you know, if a uh, Otto Lopez, Kevin Smith, Forrest Wall, Josh Palacios, there's a bunch of guys like Chavez Young. Like, look, not all these players would be, you know, taken by other teams in the Rule 5 drafts. But if there are expanded rosters next year, if it is like 26, 28, clubs will have more opportunity to make moves like that, particularly with pitchers. Look what the Blue Jays did with Elvis Luciano, right? Like, you know, if a another team really likes like a Josh Winkowski or something like they might pluck them and see if they can carry them throughout the season. You know, I think the blue Jays just might come to a point where like, yeah, you know, it just makes more sense 40 man wise for us to put one of these, you know, one of these prospects on that roster. I don't know. What I do know is that like at the major league level right now, the blue Jays are bad enough defensively as is. They're already one of the worst teams in baseball and DRS. And like, like I said, any stat you want to look at, you know, I know defense is kind of, you know, the value of it is changing in the three, three true outcomes era a little bit here. Uh, but when you look at how the Blue Jays pitching staff even is built, Ryu gives up a lot of contact. Roark, Walker, like these guys give up a lot of contact. Like the ball is in play. Like Robbie Ray is their one big strikeout guy on the staff. Otherwise, the ball is in play. So you need players who can field right now. And you need good defense right now. The Blue Jays defense has not been good enough. Is more important to this team than it might be to other teams that have more high strikeout arms on their staff. That's why Derek Fisher just cannot play the outfield going forward. Likely can't play the outfield next year. So the rubber meets the road at a certain point. Yeah, I never would have thought that we would be longing for Teoscar Hernandez's defense in right field. (laughs) But Teoscar has shown improvement. And when you compare it to some of the other options we've seen, yeah, Teoscar, who's been added back to the roster, by the way, is a big upgrade. So that really, I mean, the timing there, they probably rushed him back a little bit just because of you know the way things uh, unfolded at Yankee Stadium on Tuesday night. But to have Teoscar Hernandez back is huge for this team, you know, not only from the, the defensive standpoint, just in the sense that he can make the routine play, but most importantly for the offense that he brings. Because we were talking about last week on At The Letters, the lack of offensive depth. And you know these days when I'm looking at their lineup, it's not so bad. You at least have, you know, a top six that's pretty good. Once Teoscar's back in there, you have a top seven that's kind of playable. Maybe Alejandro Kirk gets going. That, that kind of gives you a bit more length in the lineup. And I think what we're seeing from the defense and the pitching staff on this team is 
a reminder that if the Blue Jays are going to win, they're going to need some offensive help. You know, if you're going head to head with some of these teams like the Yankees, like you're going to have to score some runs and to have Oscar back, I think is huge on that front. Yeah, and they've been in like a little bit of an offensive funk, you know, like for the last like kind of week and a half ish. You know, it's like uh, it, I'm I'm just kind of like looking at the box scores here, and I'm seeing you know two runs, three runs, one run, two runs, two runs. Like the Blue Jays just aren't scoring enough. And uh, you know, in some of the games where they have had like offensive you know outbursts, or like they have you know Vladimir Guerrero Jr. gets three hits, it's like well the Yankees scored twenty. So uh, like you know yeah, like lengthening that that lineup is important. That's why I think, yeah, Teoscar Hernandez's like uh, presence is important. As like strange as that would have been to say, which like gets back to Derek Fisher, as strange as it would have been to say, like, you know, I don't know, 12 to 18 months ago that like, can we please have Teoscar Hernandez's defense right. and offense, right? There's a point right. in his career where people were questioning whether either of those things were going to come around for him. So it could certainly come around for Derek Fisher. I just don't think that like the Blue Jays circumstances are what works for him. How much does Alejandro Kirk play? going forward would be my question for you when you were looking at like getting a little bit of offense into this lineup you brought him to the majors for a reason like you know and like as he's a fine catcher but I don't think you brought him to be you know the defensive like you know backstop like I think you brought him to the big leagues to hit like <laughs> you brought him to the big leagues to get that bat in lineup and they get on base and you know put the ball in play at a high rate of speed and hopefully hit some homers so how often does Alejandro Kirk play over these final 12 games or so as the Blue Jays try to score some more runs. Yeah, I think they should play him a lot. I think he should play about half the time. And there are two reasons for that. One, you want to figure out who Kirk is offensively and give him the chance to prove that he can hit major league pitching. And if he can do that, great. You've got yourself a offensive weapon for the playoffs, potentially. Maybe that encourages you to roster a third catcher like Reese McGuire for the playoffs just so you can use Kirk more freely offensively speaking, um, as a pinch hitter, for example, or even as a DH. So that's the first reason. And secondly, in the scenario that Kirk doesn't hit, like let's say he's just overmatched, which would be fair. You know, he's, he's basically gone more than a year without playing in games. So if this 21-year-old rookie is overmatched, I think that's pretty understandable. But if he is overmatched, then guess what? You're using Danny Jansen a lot in the playoffs. And that means these next two weeks, week and a half, are going to be essential for resting Danny Jansen. I know it's not the same grind that a catcher would normally go through in the course of a six-month season, but still, a grueling position, the most demanding position defensively on the diamond. And Jansen is not going to have, you know, in the scenario that Kirk doesn't hit, Jansen's going to have to catch a lot. There are no off days in the playoffs either. So I think you really want Jansen to be healthy, and that means this is his chance to rest. So I think either way, if Kirk hits... You want to know that, you want to give him chances to prove that. If Kirk can't hit, then you want Jansen to be rested because he is going to have to basically shoulder that load during the playoffs. Yeah, and I just think you didn't start the clock on the kid to have him play as much as Reese McGuire was, you know, yeah. like to have him like sit two out of three. Uh, you know, like I think you want him playing. And especially, as you mentioned, like with being out of competition for as long as he has and with like the level of competition it was that prior being like four <laughs> levels below the one he's at now. And I think that you want him swinging the bat and getting comfortable and like finding his groove, right? Like, you know, it's one thing to be at the alternate site, you know, hitting off of, uh, you know, whatever, like it, it, Alec Manoa throwing a side or something like that. But it's another to be like, here's Garrett Cole 
you know, and like, here's Adam Ottavino or what, you know, here's your oldest Chapman. Like it's, right. it's another thing. So I think you want him playing frequently and yeah, how you kind of manage that manage the workload of Jansen as well. It's going to be really interesting to see over the, you know, final 12 games we got here, but it is also just as, you know, in, in a big picture sense, like a super interesting move. You know, when we were talking about bringing up Alejandro Kirk on this podcast last week, we both arrived at the conclusion. Like, I was, like, advocating for it. I was like, they should do this. But I also was like, they're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> we both agreed, like, there's yeah. not something that this front office would do. So it's, like, it's completely out of character for them. Um, it's really, really fun, right? Like, it should, you know, it's going to be really cool. Uh, you know, I love, like, the science experiment aspect of so many things this season. This included, like, the Blue Jays have not pushed a player this fast in recent years it's gonna be cool to see sets up a an interesting dynamic going into 2021 with jansen mcguire and kirk all in the mix and so yeah what how the blue jays kind of like play that for you know and that's a, you know, a topic for another day i guess but like i am kind of intrigued by like what happens next year with this mix and and how they divvy up playing time and how they roster guys even guys like rally adams and gabby Mourinho, who kirk just like leapfrogged and like yeah. jumped right over those two guys speaking of the 40 band those are two guys who would be rule five eligible this off right. season, and they will be added i think i think those two are probably the closest thing to to locks that you'll find you think the blue jays would have five catchers on their 40-man roster that seems unrealistic to or me. maybe, that maybe is they trade maybe they trade someone right like wouldn't they have to like yeah. you i you're gonna have five spots in your 40-man taken up by catchers that seems like a lot i mean if it's where the value is you gotta i mean if those are your best players you gotta do it but especially with a lot of the young pitching that the Blue Jays have that they want to keep around. And you're going to want to add some vets this offseason. I mean, so let me let me hedge that a little bit. They're adding Moreno. That's a fact. Adams, I think, you know. I wonder I, about I, Adams. Yeah, I, I wonder there. And, and you could dare teams to rule five a catcher. But, again, expanded rosters, maybe he's someone's third catcher. Yeah. You know, does Baltimore take a shot? Does Pittsburgh take a shot? As a you know extra guy, you don't you're not having him catch five days a week, but he's around. You take a look at him. I don't know, but then if you anticipate that that's going to be the case, maybe you work out a small trade. Also, if you're the Blue Jays and you're looking at Jansen, McGuire, Kirk, and Mourinho all on your forty, you're like, okay, look, Baltimore, if you want to try to roster Ali Adams all year, like go for it. Like let's see if you can do it. Right? Like you feel like I think you're okay with the like the risk there. I guess. Well, or maybe maybe McGuire's falling down that depth chart. You know, maybe he's the guy who gets traded somewhere. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, something will have to move in that group going forward but also look there's there's risk there in that like yeah Danny Jansen blows out his knee and Alejandro Kirk like isn't as good as like you you know thought that he was going to be and you trade Reese McGuire yeah <laughs> like, hey Gabby right. like, yeah every day let's go right? you're trying to win it's yeah you got to walk you know with pitching is the yeah. one area you can never never have enough pitching but catching is kind of close on that really and you know the Jays have not had those catastrophic catching injuries, but it can happen anytime. Uh, it's a, obviously a grueling position, so you need to have some depth there. Yeah, and you know, they, hey, JT Real Muto is going to be a free agent this offseason. That's a guy they should go after, right? What a veteran catcher on this club who brings you above average offense, which like not just above average for a catcher, but above average like major league wide, which is like yeah. so rare because like catcher offense is like so low. It's the yeah. bar is so low to be an above average offensive like catcher with the stick, but like yeah. TTRL Mudo is like actually a real legit hitter. Like it just it reminds you of um like Russell Martin and the difference that he made 
when you know he was signed to this club ahead of uh, was he was he signed ahead of 2015? I guess it would have been the yeah. 2014 winter, and they had uh, Navarro already, but yeah. they just went and got Martin. Just like getting a guy who who can hit, who's got a great plate approach, and who's also like just a really good game caller, really sound defensively behind the plate. I think I'm higher on Russell Martin than a lot of people are, but I just thought that like he was just so integral to what that club did in, in 15 and, and 16. And then, you know, obviously like he got older and and the you know the the mortgage kind of came due on that five-year deal, right? Like they, the Blue Jays got Russell Martin because no other club was gonna go five years on him, right? Like they had to overextend to get him, but he was absolutely crucial and integral. And I just think that like having a sound defensive catcher is really good with your pitching staff and who also is, you know, above average offensively MLB wide is just such a, such a boon and such a benefit to have. So if you have the possibility to add something like that, a JT Real Muto this, this off season, go try to do it. Well, and, and look back to last off season, right? The Jays met with Yasmani Grandal in November, like in person. That's a reflection of a relatively serious degree of interest. And it's not to say that every meeting, you know, is some sort of, you know, you have to read so much into it because you talk to a lot of guys in free agency, but they met with Grandal. They spoke to him. They had interest in him, even knowing that they had Jansen McGuire. So I think you kind of copy and paste that approach this off season. JT Realmuto has to be on the radar. I'm sure they'll have that conversation. No position on the diamond can affect your run prevention as much as your starting catcher. It's a guy who catches the bulk of your innings. Like, I don't know, your center fielder can be great. Your shortstop can be phenomenal. The ball's got to be hit to those guys. The ball's being thrown to your catcher, you know, 150 times a game, however many pitches you're going to have. So, like, it's, it's such such an important position. Yeah, if you can upgrade there, you got to do it. Step away. But when we come back, we're going to talk pitching. We're going to see how this staff lines up going forward we're going to talk playoffs all that and so much more when we continue on at the letters It continues on at the letters, Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith. We must mention Ken Giles here before we get into uh, the Blue Jays pitching because it's probably last time we're going to talk about Ken Giles this season. Perhaps last time we talked about Ken Giles is a Blue Jay. He is back on the injured list with uh, the flexor strain. He's had forearm problems, elbow problems. Like It's all connected in there and, you know, we're not reading the MRIs. And if you put an MRI in front of me, I wouldn't know how to read it. So <laughs> no. like, I can't really tell you exactly what's going on there. Just that this is a guy who has been unfortunately plagued by issues in this area of his body, essentially since like the middle of the 2019 season and was able to, you know, manage it in 2019 and get through it and still find a way to be effective. And obviously like, you know, over the back half of 2019, didn't pitch on back-to-back days. And Blue Jays are you know, obviously careful with his workload, but still found a way to be out on a big league mound and look like himself this year that has not been the case ken giles exited his second outing of the year with that elbow thing came back just recently this past week through a couple outings velocity is way down velocity actually continued to go down in the second start from the first start which is not the direction you want that to trend and now he is on the il and yeah we're just not going to see him again this year and i don't see any reason why the blue jays would bring him back next year like it's a it's an incredible like turn of events Ben from a guy who like it would have been completely reasonable going into this season to wonder about possibly an extension at the least 
a qualifying offer. And now those things are completely off the table. And Ken Giles is already entering like a fairly uncertain free agent market this winter. When you look at, you know, 30 teams that haven't pulled gate revenue and we don't know how willing they're going to be to spend on players, relievers already being a pretty devalued asset. I have no idea what free agency looks like for Ken Giles. Like, is it even like, is it out of the realm to ponder whether he gets a big league deal or is that too far? No, uh, I mean, I don't think we can eliminate any possibility until we have a clearer sense of what his health is, right? I mean, if you have a flexor strain and you tried to pitch through some forearm issues for a year and a half, then, I mean, I haven't heard anybody rule out the possibility of surgery, right? And that's speculative at this point, but I haven't heard anyone rule out the, the possibility of some sort of, some sort of operation at that point probably not getting a contract at all. So if he is healthy, and hopefully he is, because this is someone who has pitched his share of dominant innings at the major league level, if he is healthy, then you're looking certainly at a one-year deal and you kind of see what's out there. It would be a make-good kind of contract at that point. And I agree, it probably wouldn't be with the Blue Jays. But it's such a reminder that timing is everything in free agency. I mean, if Giles had hit free agency last year and setting aside the whole economic consequences of the pandemic but if he had hit free agency last year after the season he had era under two great strikeout numbers he missed some time he was on the il but he was really effective when he was on the mound and he still was able to pitch i think it was 53 innings so if he hit free agency at that point in time it's not out of the question to think that he could have gotten the kind of will smith contract that smith got with the braves 39 over three if it's not that maybe it's you know, maybe it's the kind of contract that we saw the Rockies hand out a couple of winters ago in the 20s over a few seasons. I think that would have been totally reasonable for a guy who's, uh, you know, on the right side of 30 years old. But as it stands now, he has no guarantees whatsoever. It's a very, very precarious situation for Giles. And you got to feel for the guy after, you know, he has certainly put in his time to get to free agency. And yeah. now that's all those prospects are really, you know, in question. Not to mention, I mean, he doesn't get to pitch this year. He doesn't get to help the Blue Jays on this playoff run. Uh, you know, we talked to him on a, on a Zoom call four or five days ago, and he was really excited about that possibility. He had watched those guys. He sounded like he had really enjoyed seeing these Blue Jays relievers step up, and he wanted to pitch in the next month or so and kind of basically hone his craft out there when the games really count, and now that opportunity is not going to be there for him. It's funny how much free agency is just about timing. Right. It's about when you hit the market for any like reliever to get to free agency, both healthy and effective. And at like an age that's young enough where a team is like, yeah, we could see you still being good three to four years from now. Like it's almost impossible. Yeah. Right. Like you think about it. You're so right. Like if, if Ken Giles hit free agency, if last year, if 2019 was his platform year, you're talking about a year when the guy, like you said, like, you know, top five across the board and like, ERA, park adjusted ERA, FIP, like we're talking 95th to 99th percentile stats in terms of strikeout rates and like whiff rates and like expected numbers and like all like we're talking about what we probably didn't get said enough. One of the best seasons by a reliever in the history of the Toronto Blue Jays. Like just an unbelievable season that he had. And like, obviously you look deeper into the context of it and it's like, Hey, what the hell happened in July? Right. When you hit the IL and all of a sudden you stop pitching on back-to-back days or what happened when you pitched those three days in a row and then you just weren't the same after that. Right. That's That's obviously, obviously context that clubs would have looked at, but still he would have for sure been in a position to 
get a, a have a big league deal after 2019 a multi-year uh, deal right a multi-year yeah, no question deal. i mean drew, drew pomeranz had a good month and he got a multi-year deal i mean there's right. no question yeah giles would have had a multi-year deal millions and millions of dollars yeah. like life-changing money and like ken giles already made millions in his career that's but right still, he's like, fine yeah he's fine but like enough money that would like set him up and his kids up and like everybody up like forever and like life would be good now like a year later like it's like yeah you're, are you gonna be like you know are the colorado rockies gonna sign you to a minor league deal <laughs> you have to try to like make that team like it's just funny how much timing impacts it and just in the current structure with you know needing the six years of service time to reach free agency like, i don't know how any reliever gets there right like i don't know you know you have to be like roberto osuna debuting at 20 as a reliever like think about how many of these you mentioned pomeranz and guys like that think about ancient miller how many of these guys were starters to begin with right and they had to kind of convert like at some point in their careers you know and that that bakes in a whole bunch more uncertainty going forward as well you have to be roberto osuna like 20 years old you're debuted as a reliever you're a reliever the whole you know, you're closer piling up those saves right like you're getting paid in arbitration like you're you know and you're effective and you're healthy but even osuna ended up getting hurt right and he hasn't been to free agency yet so like i just i don't know it's like a, it's a bit of a sidebar but i just don't know how any reliever gets to free agency and makes money right and, and it makes it easy for teams to really you know fill out their bullpens because if they're all collectively so risk averse which they are yeah. then you know nobody's getting multi-year deals so all these relievers hit free agency you know pretty much every year or two and you have good choice i mean they, the whole market there is shifted i think understandably so because teams are are not in a hurry to sign, you know, with the possible exception of the Rockies, maybe maybe a couple other teams, but mostly teams are pretty hesitant to make those big investments. So every year for relievers, you got to prove it. Yeah, it's too bad for him, and I'm going to be really interested to see what happens going forward. But I just don't think we're going to see him in a Toronto Blue Jays uniform ever again. Thinking about the the 2020 Blue Jays and what this means on this roster, so you've now lost. Ken Giles, who was like your best reliever entering the season, he was your closer. Jordan Romano stepped up, you know, in, in the weeks following Ken Giles first going down and was like, hey, I can do that. Like, hey, I'll pitch your high leverage innings and I'll be, you know, your massive strikeout whiff rate guy back into the bullpen. Well, now he's hurt too. So now you're looking at Rafael Dolis and Anthony Bass, uh, you know, the back end of your bullpen. I'm kind of wondering if one of Nate Pearson or Julian Merriweather has to be added to the eight slash ninth inning mix Pearson coming back from injury obviously was a starter earlier this year not gonna be enough runway to you know ramp him up back to being a starter he's gonna pitch out of the bullpen when he comes back a little uncertain where his role is going to be Julian Merriweather's kind of been used a little bit all over although we haven't really seen him in like ninth inning leverage yet like you've seen him start games we've seen him you know come in the fifth and sixth inning I just wonder if one of those like high velocity high strikeout guys needs to be added to that eighth ninth inning high leverage late inning mix for this club going forward it's interesting i think pearson and merriweather are both key and pearson we're told through a live batting practice session in rochester on wednesday so seems like he's trending in the right direction along with matt shoemaker but but yeah pearson and merriweather are super interesting to me and both likely to be in relatively you know short ish stints i mean I, i don't think it's more than three innings for those guys. I, you know, I'd be surprised. Yeah, um, I mean, maybe if you had to in the playoffs, right? Like, yeah, if you, you know. had to, if you had to, and, and yeah, but certainly. I think preferably one to two. Yeah, that's like that's four probably, or five six outs. Yeah, for for Merriweather, I think I think you can safely put him in for two. Uh, we've seen him very comfortably in that role. I guess like the way I look at it is the first inning is high leverage too. So if you're using these guys in the first inning. 
you know, top of the order up, like yeah. that's a tie game. You know, it's a, it's a game that counts. That's fine. Like I'm, I'm fine with using yeah. Pearson as a, as a two inning starter or three inning starter or Merriweather as a starter. You know, I think it's pretty obvious Merriweather is not going to be pitching in low leverage. That would be a total waste. He's, he's going to be used in games that really count when they count, whether that's the eighth, whether that's the, you know, the first inning. I'm not too worried about that one way or the other. I think Pearson, I would want to see him prove it. You know, maybe ease him in with one or two. And this is where this is where these losses against the Yankees kind of hurt because if the Blue Jays were banking wins right now, you know, you're conceivably able to clinch a little bit earlier. You can just have that much more flexibility to put guys in situations that prepare them for the playoffs instead of having to put them in situations where we need production right now. This is time to produce. This is not time to, you know, finesse everything. It, it does create a little bit more pressure. And with each loss that happens, then the pressure mounts. But I think ideal world, you use Pearson first in a couple of low leverage spots. I'm already in that world of the Blue Jays are a playoff team and they can like give innings to guys who just kind of need to get work and kind of need yeah. to, you know, like get back on the horse. Like oh, the Blue Jays are 26 and 22. The number nine team is Seattle Mariners. They're 22 and 27. Yeah. Right. And yeah. there's a week and a half left. I'm just not, I don't yeah. see conceivably how the Blue Jays missed the postseason. Yeah. You know what? And it's a good point. We, we got to zoom out and see that. At the same time, I don't know. I, Blue I Jays think magic they, number is eight today. Wow. Which is great. That's where you want to be. But I think, I don't know. Just knowing the way. <laughs> may eat these words, but I generally don't see how the Blue Jays missed the postseason. No, I, I, I think you're right. I think they're making the playoffs. I'm not, I'm not disputing it. I just think for me, like if, and this is maybe this is like going too far in the direction of caution. You know, maybe this is an overly cautious approach. But to me, I would try to win a couple games first. You got to get to 28, 28 or 29 wins. Ideally, yeah. you, you know, really, you get to 28 or 29 wins. And then you say, all right, like, depending on where the Mariners are and the Tigers and whatever. But you get to that point and then you say, okay, now is the point where, you know, Teoscar's in here to get as many at-bats as he needs. You know, you use... Pearson just as a tune-up, you're resting your your top guys. Bichette's taking a day off. Like that's when you back off a little bit for me. You should try to win the games. Should definitely try to yeah. win the games. <laughs> but the look, the Blue Jays are in this incredible position right now, right? So we're as we sit here on September 17th, like two games into the Yankees series, like they're in this insane spot where they're having to make moves to get reinforcements for their 10-man bullpen, which had an off day two days ago. You know, like they're in this like insane predicament where like everybody is gassed, <laughs> like coming off an off day and with an extended bullpen because Blue Jays starters, you know, as we've talked about all year, don't get particularly deep into games. So you're counting on that bullpen a lot. In the last couple of days, they have had to count on that bullpen even more. Tanner Roark uh, yesterday, you know, only four innings. The day before that, Taiwan Walker uh, didn't get particularly deep into that game either. So you got, you know, Shun Yamaguchi out there wearing it. And like Anthony Kay is wearing it. And, you know, and Jacob Wag is back. And like Hector Perez in his first MLB like outing is like having to be extended. I just think that the biggest thing for this bullpen over the next week and a half is just workload management and just like getting everybody back onto like into a good comfortable place like moving forward so that you can be in good position entering the postseason like I'm not like looking to overextend anybody or like go too nuts to win a, a game today because I just think that like the Blue Jays are in the playoffs man I just think it's so unlikely that they're gonna and if they do miss it it's because they lost like every game for the rest of the season and they don't deserve to be there anyway really but i just think that you know with the dire straits of this bullpen is in right now and as it is like very much sort of 
regressing to the mean, particularly with home runs. Like I kind of wrote about this on the weekend or a few days ago yeah. about how like, wow, like the Blue Jays like home run rates in their, in their bullpen are really low. Like they give up a lot of fly ball contact and they have kept the ball in the yard really well. What usually happens when like your home run per fly ball rate is like really low you start giving up a lot of homers and then all of a sudden you go to Yankee Stadium and boom, like the, you know, balls are like flying into the seats. And a fly ball to right center field. He got a lot of this one and he got it all. First pitch and an opposite field home run for Guerrero and the Blue Jays have the lead. By the way, Blue Jays going to Citizens Bank Park from Yankee Stadium, another homer happy environment, like another place where the, the ball leaves the yard at a pretty high rate, a very much above average rate from, from the rest of baseball. So, I'm almost like right now just managing my bullpen for the postseason. Like I'm just trying to get it so that I know what my rules are. I know who I have. I have everybody nice and like rested and like throwing well and like happy. And just so that I can like, because as we've mentioned, the Blue Jays are probably going to have to bullpen their way through a couple games in these playoffs. That's kind of how I'm approaching it. Yeah, I think I'm almost there. I'm not quite there. Um, and, and, you know, the difference is pretty small, right? Because it, it's a question of, are you using this guy on back-to-back days, for example? And, you know, for me, if you have to use, say, Dolis, for argument's sake, on back-to-back days, you do it. Like, I'm not, I'm not just resting him because the playoffs are coming up. I'm, you know, I think you got to push a little bit. But there are other cases. I mean, there's certainly lines that I wouldn't cross, right? If, if this was a do-or-die game, maybe you just, you know, everyone's available. Merriweather can go three, four innings. You know, you, you throw caution to the wind. I'm not there. But I, I think everyone's going to have a different threshold for risk. Yeah, it seems like the Blue Jays are, you know, kind of playing this day by day, at least if you go by what Charlie Montoyo says, but they they certainly have a lot of work to do. So here's what I would do. I'm keeping Merriweather where he is right now because I think he's been really effective in the role he's at and he's just, you know, comfortable and calm and composed and I'm just leaving him there, let him keep being effective. He's got like the, it's interesting, he's got to start his repertoire as a reliever. Yeah. So he actually works really well like as an opener or as like a guy who comes in after your your starter. Like he does work really well like early in a the game. There's just a lot of ways he can get hitters out. You know, it's yeah. a lot of pitches you can go to. So I'm keeping him in that role where it's like, hey, you might start today or you might come in in the fourth inning or you might pitch the sixth and the seventh for us i'm leaving him there when nate pearson returns i'm giving him like a low leverage spot in his first outing maybe i'm giving him two low leverage spots depending on how many games i have left in the season and then i am like if you look good and you are finding the zone and you're you know throwing gas which like i will say again Last time Nate Pearson threw in a max effort <laughs> one inning outing was the Fall Stars game right. in Arizona a couple of years ago, and all he did was throw 104. That's all he did. So like, just like, I don't, I don't know. We'll see what he is when he comes back. But I am like, you know, I very much have an eye on like he might do something special as a one inning reliever. After those couple of low leverage outings, and if he looks good and he's healthy and everything's strong, he's confident. Da, 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 I'm moving him to like an eighth, ninth inning role. And I am putting him in, I'm installing him the back sure. of my bullpen to come in and like strike dudes out in yeah. a one run game or a two run game. And that's, that's kind of the way I'm managing those two arms. Yeah. And, and, and look, if, if Pearson performs well, do it. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, that's a great spot for him. Here's a, here's a question for you. So I think we will both agree the most important pitcher on this team is Ryu. Who is the number two? I've got an answer in my mind. Who is the number two most important pitcher on this team? If you're saying like what injury would be most costly, what pitcher could they least afford to lose as they approach the playoffs huh 
So just for 2020, like we're not talking right about now. most important no, like, no, going no. forward. Like not most like, important obvi- for 2020. Obviously, yeah, like, you know, big, big, big picture. It's Pearson, obviously. But um, I mean, for this year, for this next six weeks, who is the second most important pitcher <laughs> behind Ryu? And there are, lots of, there are lots of different ways you could go with this. I mean, I know. What if I went like way off the board and said Robbie Ray? Ray's got it. Stabbed it nicely on the mound, and the side is retired in order. I thought about him. I thought about him. He was really good in his most recent start against the Mets, and he has big-time strikeout potential. And if you're facing a team like the Rays, who have a lot of left-handed batters, including some of their best hitters like Meadows and Lau, then that's important. Now, upside, baby. Upside play for me. Tons of upside. Honestly, my answer is Merriweather. I think Merriweather is the second most important pitcher on this team. Just because of the versatility? Because he's so good. Yeah. I think he's the second. Yeah. I just think he's so good. And he's versatile. Yeah. Yeah. But he's like, he's really effective. The four pitch mix is legit. He's he's got to be a starter for them next year. I think, you know, uh, along with Pearson, obviously, Pearson will be starting again next year. But even right now, I, I think he's like inning by inning, batter by batter. I think he's their second best pitcher. I think that like Robbie Ray at his best. Because I, I, to me, it's an upside play, right? Sure. So it's, it's, it's like, hey, if you can get Robbie Ray, even if it's only for a couple weeks, right? Like yeah. that you just get him back to who he was and get him back in the zone. Throw in with more velo now. Like the stuff is electric. Like you can see why this guy is going to continue to get opportunities for years and years to come, right? Like it's just like got amazing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, if you can just get him back in the zone and, and consistent with the release point, the delivery and the mechanics and all that, I, th- you know, that guy could be special, right? But obviously this season has walked everybody and has been in the zone enough. And like, you know, that's kind of led to homers and bad spots. And look, it's, it hasn't looked good to this point, but if you even just get two weeks of like, Hey, he found it again, he rediscovered it. Even if he loses it after that, that's really important because his potential, his upside is higher, you know, than anybody's on this staff other than I would say Ryu and Pearson. Right. He's got tons of upside. I think you could even add to that the fact that, you know, Kay has struggled lately. Baraki has been walking a lot of guys the last few weeks. So, you know, if you're looking at left-handed pitchers on the staff, Ray right now at this point in time is probably the guy who's performing the best. It's interesting. You look at this like Blue Jays starting rotation right now. Maybe take a little big picture look here. So Hunjin Ryu, top your rotation Taiwan Walker's like your two right now I guess Tanner Roark's your three Chase Anderson Robbie Ray that's your rotation Mm -hmm. how many of those players were on the Toronto Blue Jays in September 2019 how many were in the organization zero like what is the cumulative starts as Blue Jays of these guys in this short you know like it might be less than 30 when you oh yeah I think it would be I think it would be Right. When you think yeah. about like Ray doesn't like have many, like you even throw Stripling in there, right? Like yeah. there's another guy, like anybody, like that would be like your starting pitching depth chart for the Blue Jays as things stand right now today. That's you right. like Walker and then however you want to order Roark, Anderson, Ray Stripling. That's your top six. Your starting pitcher depth chart. None of those guys were in the organization a year ago. It's kind of wild. I don't know what it says about the Blue Jays starting pitching going forward, like into 2021 and beyond you know like i don't know if you know a, a ray will be back next year i don't know like wh- how they broach the tanner roark thing next year he's had a miserable year he's given up way too many home runs he is not a great fit for a club in a 60 game season that doesn't want to let starters see a third trip through it's a good fit on a 162 game season and a club that you know needs an innings eater in there who can you know give you 
five and dive or whatever, like six innings of league average ball. I don't know. I haven't thought about it enough yet. I don't know if Taiwan Walker will be back next year, if they would think about him. Like, I don't know if they're going to go out and try to sign a Trevor Bauer this off season. Like, I, you know, we haven't seen necessarily the kind of wave of young pitching impact the starting rotation this year. Like maybe we expected it to. It certainly impacted the bullpen, you know, in like a, a Hatch and a K and a Baraki. But like, you know, Nate Pearson arrived in the big leagues this year and it did not go well for him at all. And he's going to come back in a relief role this year and we'll kind of see how he looks and we'll see how healthy he is and, and how things are for him progressing. But it's kind of interesting the Blue Jays have this like, I don't want to say it's a rotation of mercenaries, but like this rotation of guys who just were not in this organization a year ago. I don't know what it means going forward. Right. And it's definitely an upgrade compared to the mercenaries we saw in 2019, you know, the Edwin Jackson, Clay Buckholz mold. I mean, this is, these guys are contributing. Um, and someone like Walker, I mean, that might be a nice fit for this team going forward. I, they're, they're clearly going to need to add pitching to this organization. Even with, you know, Trent Thornton will come back. His injury isn't expected right. to sideline him beyond, you know, he'll be, he'll be ready for spring training. So that's right. a good thing for this team. Pearson, Merriweather, they, they've got options, Hatch. So they'll have some pitching. But yeah, when you zoom out big picture, totally true that this team has had to remake things on the fly. And, you know, a guy like Roark, I was thinking about this the other day. I was watching him give up all those home runs in Yankee Stadium. I know we had some sort of over-under on his home run total. And I, I was just thinking to myself, <laughs> I really hope I took the over because I guarantee he is well past it right now. Yeah, I don't remember what it was. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, he's given up six home runs in his last seven innings. Is that what I, I texted you guys last night? Yeah. It was like it's six in his last seven innings, something like that. Like it's a Not lot, good. man. But yeah, I forgot about Trent Thornton, right? Yep. And then I guess, I don't know, is there a Matt Shoemaker discussion to be had after sure. this season as well, right? There are a lot of like kind of moving veteran parts in this Blue Jays rotation. Chase Anderson as an option. Yeah, right? Like there's going to be some interesting decision-making that has to be made. And then, you, you know, you kind of wonder about like, younger pitchers coming up like is Patrick Murphy a starter for you next year right are you kind of going to move him to a bullpen role like I keep waiting for the day that we get you know Charlie starts his pregame with yep we call him Patrick Murphy <laughs> yeah. right like I, f- I feel like he, he would be really useful for this club out of the bullpen particularly with you know Giles and Romano down and you know we'll see what Pearson is when he comes back I don't know like it like I I haven't seen him pitch since spring training but he was a lights out in spring training um he's on the taxi squad right now so he's right there so like I, I wonder about him you think about like all right what's the timeline after this year on like an alec manoa and simeon woods richardson like when are you going to want to like introduce those guys to the mix in the majors you know there's like a lot of uh it's kind of like a lot of interesting moving parts for this for the starting pitching going forward let's just finish real quick playoffs got expanded playoffs this year makes a lot of sense Rob Manfred, as he has done several times this season, just like, here goes a trial balloon. Like, here goes another one. You know, like, this is, what does everybody think of this? And what do you think of that? Expanded playoffs, here to say, perhaps, question mark. How do you feel about it? I don't like it one bit. Yeah, I think you could expand them a little bit. I mean, if you want to go to 12 teams and just add another, you know, wild card play-in element, we all love that drama of the, you know, play-in game. Maybe you have a play-in to the play-in game. You know, like that, that would add intrigue. Yeah. That would open things up for a lot of teams. But the problem with having 16 teams enter the playoffs on an ongoing basis is just that it makes it too easy for the top teams. 
And so what you would have is you would have these extended two-month stretches where teams like the Dodgers and Yankees, whoever the best teams are in a given year, maybe it's the Braves, maybe it's the Astros, those teams just coast for a long time and they can rest their guys. It becomes a crawl to the finish line. There are no stakes whatsoever for those teams. I guess you could say, all right, you want to face the worst seed. But in some cases, you're preparing for a short series anyways. So it's not even like your odds are going to be dramatically better if you're facing, let's say it's the Blue Jays compared to the White Sox compared to the whoever that other team is. Maybe it's the A's. Are your odds going to change so dramatically? If you know, Maybe you, against the Blue Jays, you're a 55% favorite. Against the White Sox, you're a 51% favorite. You're not going to adjust playing time. You're not going to make trades with a view toward improving your seeding in a lot of cases. And so I just think it takes so much of the intrigue away from the late season. Whereas in the current format, there's a big difference between being a wildcard team and being a division winner. You, you want to obviously avoid that wildcard game. You want to win the division, make your way right to the division series. That, I think, works. So I'm not a big fan. I don't know where you land on this, but to me, I think you can expand them a little bit. I'd be fine going to 12, but I do not like going to 16. I wouldn't want to see this season's expanded playoffs continue going forward, but I'm like open to a 14-team playoff field, and I am open to one that has kind of tiered incentives for yep. where you finish. Because like right now, like the Dodgers like are getting no benefit really other than right. like the wild card games are in their ballpark and they get to bat last there's yeah. no real benefit to what like i don't yeah. know the benefit but to those are small benefits really right yeah, yeah. it's kind of marginal in a so, three-game series the dodgers might get bounced and they're clearly the best team in baseball exactly bad teams beat good teams in three-game series all the time happens yeah. all all season long um so i think that you would want some sort of incentive for the division winners whether that's like first round by whether it's like pick your opponent, whether it's like you start the series a game up, yep. you know, like so there needs to be some sort of like tiered incentives going down so yep. that, you know, you don't get a because like, look, it's like it's baseball, right? Like here, like actually, all right, well, this is crazy. But like, here's the thing, like everybody, like the playoffs are, I don't know, I, it, they're a tournament, right? The playoffs are a tournament. It's not, it doesn't decide who the best team is, right? So like you almost have to like shift your paradigm and your thinking. To the point where, and this will never happen, but like actually the champion of baseball is the team with the best record at the end of 162. Right. That's actually the best team in baseball. Right. The playoffs are just like this tournament afterwards, right? It's just March Madness, you know? And so like you can then, sure, go to 16 teams. And like the regular season is just like qualifying for that tournament. And every year it's like the Dodgers, the best team in baseball because they won the most games. The Houston Astros, the best team in baseball, won the most games. Raise a banner, give them a trophy give them a million bucks, I don't know, whatever, right? Don't like, they have a trophy in, in hockey for that? The president's trophy, I believe, yeah. is the one in hockey. So, like, I, like, I, sure. And, like, it would take a collective shift in paradigm from millions and millions of people to then, you know, think that, like, after the regular season, okay, my team won the quote-unquote championship. It's never going to happen, right? But I do think that we are, you know, now more than ever, the playoffs are just a crapshoot tournament your regular season you're just trying to qualify for it that would be the solution but barring uh you know massive shift in thinking i think that yeah you you kind of incentivize tiers of incentives so that it, it makes more sense to kind of compete compete for the top of the division like i think that more clubs having a chance of reaching the postseason is good 
for yes. competitiveness and for clubs, you know, tr- not like, you know, going all in quote unquote, but like trying to be more competitive. Like yeah. it's good for avoiding tanking, I think. So like I, I am for an expanded postseason field. I just think that you need to structure it differently than it's been structured this year. That's right. Yeah. If you're going to have more teams to qualify, then it makes it easier for the very top teams to qualify. And then if you're the Padres or the Dodgers or the Yankees, you just know going into the season, you're going to make it. So then you have to create some sort of intrigue. Because if you're going to play 162 times, or even if they were to somehow reduce the schedule, and say it's 150. As they should, by the way. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. But um, totally fine with that. But um, 142, 154, like just, yeah, yeah, for sure reduce regular season. I mean, we're still going to be entertained by baseball for the entire season, even if they're not playing every single day. You can watch another team. You can talk about you know, what's going to happen. There's still so much strategy. It wouldn't take away from that. So I think our entertainment would be preserved. Whether the TV networks would, would see it that way is another story. But I think that you need to, in the course of a season where you're playing so many games, hundreds of times, more than 100 times, then you need to have some reason to watch for those good teams. Because if you make things interesting for, let's say, the Angels and Rangers and Red Sox this year, those teams that are out of it now, or you know, the Mariners and Tigers, like they're, they're, they wouldn't, in a traditional baseball playoff model, those teams would not be contending. Now the field is open, but it's at the expense of intrigue for those top teams. So you have to have some sort of stakes for those top teams. It can't just be this like slow crawl to the finish line. Just think the idea that everyone's like the World Series, you know, crowns the best team in baseball. It's like it so rarely does, right? Like we're the we're the Washington Nationals, the best team in baseball last season. You know, the, the the best team in baseball is the one with the best regular season record. Like I'll say this a million times: if you raise a division banner, that is so much more impressive to me than a World Series banner. Honestly, like it just is. Like you just want to, especially for the Blue Jays and their division. Like you want a division, you know, like against really good teams. Like over 162, you proved out that you were better than everyone else. If you were the best record in MLB over 162, 154, 142, whatever, amazing. Like you should be rewarded for that. Everyone should think you are the best team. And then at the end of those, of the regular season, the best teams enter this offset like tournament, right? And maybe you do like you carry forward the neutral site thing and you play this, you continue to play this tournament at a neutral site in Arlington or, you know, California or wherever. Like maybe you kind of continue that and you just kind of shift the paradigm a little bit and be like, it's just a tournament. Like it's just, you know, because baseball, you don't have enough time to decide who the best team is in a short tournament. Like you just don't. Like baseball takes time, man. It takes a long ass season. So for fans to stay interested, I think it would be, you know, keeping up with your team as they like progress to the tournament. And like how are they looking and how are they doing? Like, you know, the tiered incentives. Like can we get to that point where we get to pick our, you know, our our opponent? Can we get to that point where we have like a first round buy or what have you? Like I think you can kind of like bake those things in. Um, cause you know, and, and you know, people, people are like, well, the, the regular season is going to be meaningless. Like if you expand the playoffs, well, no, I think that you can make the regular season actually more meaningful. It just takes some, some little tweaks. That's right. And hopefully, hopefully major league baseball can listen to this. I think as you say, Manfred floats these trial balloons. Hopefully he can listen to, you know, enough of this feedback and, and take it all in 
and and make sure that you're preserving the integrity of what it means to play a full season. I, I think you know this season has shown us in a big picture sense that we don't have to be beholden to the traditions of of what baseball has been before. If there's a way to make it more entertaining by changing it up, great. Like that's that's awesome. Baseball's still super entertaining. There's still so many common threads, so many ties to history. We don't have to worry about preserving every single one of them. But you got to be careful about the ways you're changing things up. Time of game this year, Ben, is the longest it's ever been in the history of the right. sport. Do you know that? Like you need to find ways to modernize the sport just to make it more appealing to a mass audience, to a changing audience, to viewing habits that are changing generationally. You know, it's great, the history and the tradition of the sport, the way things were done back in the day. Times change and things are different now. You see the NHL's made changes, the NBA makes changes. Like you kind of like you need to continue to adapt and evolve because at the end of the day, like your customer is what drives this whole thing. People watching is what drives this whole thing. If people watching are saying we want shorter games or we want more action or we want, you know, different playoffs, this, that, and the other, like you, you do have to be open-minded and cater to them and find ways to make the sport more interesting going forward. Otherwise, none of us are going to have jobs. <laughs> Otherwise, well, it's all over. I don't think Rob Manfred's worried about uh, at the letters no. continuing, but uh, yeah, but we we want to we want to do it. And I and I think that there's enough interest in baseball that you know I don't think it's at the you know the precipice of just falling out of the public eye. You can you can go back like literally centuries and find you know is baseball dying? You know there are articles about this for going back decades and like honestly centuries, and and it hasn't died. But that doesn't guarantee baseball anything going forward. You do have to adapt. Yes, you do. And we will continue on At The Ladders as the Blue Jays uh, roll towards playoffs, which begin in like a week and a half. And we will be here uh, with you to break it all down. Uh, that's Ben Nixon smith My name's Arden Swelling. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. Thank them for their hard work as always. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next time on At The Letters. At The Letters.